It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you grow your e-commerce business faster and more efficiently by cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and guidance from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, Master Plan World. It's great to have so many of you out there listening, and I'm really pleased to be bringing you another one of our Takeaways episodes. I'm Chloe Thomas. I'm an e-commerce marketing problem solver, author, podcast host, and more. Now, as always with my Takeaways episodes, there's a couple of warnings at the start. So first off, excuse the slightly less good quality audio than normal. Uh, These Takeaways episodes are edited by me, and I am nowhere near as good as my normal editor, Kieran. But I do that so I can get them to you really, really quickly. So this one will be loaded within 40 minutes of me recording it. And plus, as you can probably tell from my voice, I've done quite a lot of talking over the last two days and my throat is not hugely happy about it. So um, it may be a bit husky and I may sound a bit weird at times. Um, it doesn't hurt as much as it sounds. So that's a good thing. But, uh, but I apologize for the slightly crazy audio today. So what's this show about? Well, earlier this week, uh, Wednesday and Thursday, I attended the always marvellous, and it was again this year, IRX, the Internet Retailing Expo in Birmingham. That's Birmingham, UK, not Birmingham, Alabama. And I was lucky enough to be chairing the conference again this year. That's my third year in a row. A huge thank you to the organisers for letting me do that. Uh, So these takeaways are mainly from the two conference streams I was looking after. That's the marketing and customer obsession. So pleased I got to be in there and also B2B e-commerce. So yes, two of my favourite subjects. I have updates coming up on how Brand Alley are putting the customer at the heart of their business, SEO, oh my word, some awesome ideas here on how to rule the future SEO world. This will really get you thinking. Monetizing the traffic that doesn't buy, that's going to get your brains chugging, um, and a couple of tips from the B2B e-commerce part as well. Before you can, before I dive in to take you through this whole uh, piece, you can get the whole script for this show. So think of it as kind of like a very long blog post at ecommercemasterplan.com 105-5. So that's 150-5. That contains typos uh, as well as links to the various tools. And there's quite a lot of them in this one and um, et cetera, et cetera. I do tend to ad lib a bit, so it's worth listening as well as picking up the script. And also a shout out to some of the listeners I met over the last two days. And thank you so much for coming and saying hello. It is always very cool to meet the listeners. Um, So Kate Turner of Party Packs and Rob Boyle, both of whom are performer guests. It was really nice to catch up with them. Uh, Rob's friend Johnny as well. Johnny, sorry, brain freeze. Um, as As you knew yesterday, my brain was pretty much in overwhelm mode. And I can't remember your surname, sorry. Uh, but it was really nice to meet you and chat to you about what's going on in the B2B business you're working for. And um, Stephen Nixon, very cool to meet you, if very briefly in person. And you're much taller than I expected. Uh, Okay, that's enough for the hellos. Let's get into some of that, this e-commerce goodness for you. So first off, how Brand Alley are putting the customer at the heart of their business. For those of you not familiar with Brand Alley, they are the leading flash sales retailer in the UK market. So think Bista Village Online, and they run four to eight day long sales, each focused on a specific fashion or accessories brand, where the objective for the brand owner is usually to reach new customers, clear out old stock in bulk quickly, uh, and also to sell full price product on their own website during the Brand Alley event, because actually a lot of their a lot of their merchants find a big uplift in uh, full price product from new customers when Brand Alley are running a big sale for them. 
which I wouldn't have anticipated, so that's pretty cool. Now, Flash Sales is a very different style of e-commerce, and it's one we don't often feature here on the podcast. So it's nice to be able to share some insights on that world with all of you. Brand Alley are a very successful business. Some of the key numbers which uh, which Bruce shared, Bruce McKeans, who's their chairman, he was doing the presentation. They get 4 million unique views per month. That's pretty crazy. Uh, the AOV is £100, which is lower than I would have assumed for the type of products they sell. The average basket is 2.2 products. A lot of you will be quite jealous of that out there, I would imagine. And they send about 80 million emails per month. So this is a this is a full-on e-commerce operation. And they are very mobile-centric. Their customers are very mobile-centric, which I guess is partly due to the urgency of that flash sales nature. If you don't buy it when, it, when you first hear about it, you may well miss out. And this is an interesting stat that Bruce shared, is that they have um, a group of customers they call their VIPs, and 23% of their customers class as VIPs, and those are the customers who spend more than £500 per year. So that's, you know, like they're placing five orders a year, or they're spending five times as much as the average customer. So for those of you who struggle with the concept of VIPs and where to set the levels, there's a couple of clues for you there of how one of the big retailers in the UK is handling it. So... Bruce was taking us through what customer centricity means for Brand Alley and how they've gone about using it and implementing different things around customer centricity in order to increase sales by 26%. So let me run you through some of those. So Bruce was defining customer centricity as creating a holistic experience around the brand, not just being a retailer of goods. It's kind of going above and beyond. So they consider every single customer touch point in order to make it more customer centric. Now, to drive that, of course, you have to get the culture right in the business because basically every single person within the business is responsible for making sure you're customer centric. So Bruce was pointing out that this is not just about chiseling the values into the reception room wall, as you see many a large company doing, but really about getting the team to be fully embracing that idea of making everything and anything customer-centric within the business. So that started with the vision, which is, and I paraphrase slightly because I didn't manage to write this down perfectly, but it's along the lines of to deliver great value and deliver products well. How straightforward is that for a vision? I like that because it's so straightforward. It makes it really, really easy or easier at least to implement, to deliver great value and deliver products well. Simple, she says. Uh, So customer-centric innovation. For Bruce, this has to start with what the customer actually cares about. So Brand Alley have done a lot of research to find out what's important to their customer. And it turned out it was the really simple stuff. The number one thing their customer wanted was to be able to trust the information on the website about the products. 39.4% of their customers, when surveyed, said that the most important part of the clothes shopping experience was a clear representation of the product. In second place was good delivery options with 13.7%. So massively more important to the customers when they're buying clothes was clear representations of the product. It's kind of crazy, those numbers. Um, So across the teams within the business, they then spent a lot of time focusing on getting the information on the product pages 100% right before they launch each sale. I suppose that's one of the things which Brand Alley can kind of uh, develop and improve much faster than the average business where you may have a new product launch uh, maybe once a quarter or twice a year. They're doing every, every time they do one of those four to eight day long sales, they're releasing a whole set of new products onto the website. 
So they did a lot of work on improving that information to get it right for the customers so they could buy with um, whilst feeling comfortable that they were going to get the products they wanted. Then that second biggest issue, delivery. Surprise, surprise, isn't it always up there? Um, because of the way their business works, they can't offer next day delivery. They don't get the product from the brand owner until after the sale is, all, is over and all the orders have been placed. So instead, they focused on what they could do, which was to make the delivery status and information really clear absolutely everywhere on the website. The anticipated delivery dates are displayed next to every product and every sale. It is comes as no surprise to the customer when they are going to get those goods. So focusing on excellent delivery communications rather than trying to, to you know, completely redesign the entire business in order to be able to do next to delivery has, has had a huge impact in customer conversion. They've also worked to make the marketing more customer-centric. Now, because they're a private deals site, all customers are logged in as they browse the products. They have a lot, a lot, a lot of data. One of the, I think, the most interesting things the interesting examples of how they've used this data that Bruce took us through was um, implementing machine learning send time optimization for their automated emails. This wasn't for their newsletter broadcast. This was for the things that go out automatically to customers. And that send time optimization identified the best possible time for each customer. And that's led to increases in click through of 11%. I think all of us would be quite happy with that. Now, with all of that, they've increased revenue 26%. As I said earlier, I mean, that that's a, an amazing thing to do simply by becoming more customer centric and basically just tweaking a few things and implementing a little bit more, more new tech. None of this is rocket science. Um, so the lesson from this session for me, for all of you, is whilst customer centricity is all consuming in an organization, it's not that hard to tackle. You've just got to work out what your customers want and then find ways to fix their biggest problems and ways to fix them that work for both you and for the customer. Okay, we're going to get a bit techy here, but not too techy, I promise you. SEO. Um, this session was done by Nick Wilsdon, who's the SEO lead at the Vodafone Group. So he is a man who really knows his stuff about SEO. And what I really loved about this is it wasn't a session on influences or link building or tags. We didn't talk about any of that. I think link building came up once in the Q&A, but other than that, Nick didn't mention it. Keywords. Nick didn't really talk about. It was more about looking at where the big SEO opportunities are now and going to be in the next kind of two to three years. And this is very, very different to what we usually look, what we've traditionally looked at in SEO, link building and words. So let's start off with some of the simple tips he took us through. HTTPS your whole site. Okay, so you need that security piece. If you're on Shopify, that's done for you. The rest of us, we have to work a little bit harder, but it's not that difficult. And it will make a difference to how customers see your site and to what Google thinks of it. The second one, in Google Search Console, and all of you should know what that is. If you don't, go and Google it now and get it set up for your website, okay? So in, and it used to be, for those of you who are going, oh my God, and have had a minor heart attack because you thought you were all over your SEO, this is what used to be called Google Webmaster Tools. So it's that thing. Okay, so in Google Search Console, because actually Nick's tip wasn't to set it up, it was how to set it up. So hopefully you've already got it set up. What was Nick's tip? Nick's tip was, make sure you're monitoring all four versions of each of your websites, right? Who knew we had four, four websites? Um, so the first version is HTTPS colon slash slash word, word, word dot. The second one is HTTPS colon slash slash. 
no woo woo woo. Uh, the third one is HTTP, no S, colon, slash, slash, you're getting the theory here, uh, woo 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 dot. And then the last one is HTTP, colon, slash, slash, no woo woo woo. Fun. Uh, really fun reading all that out for all of you guys. Uh, so all four of those you should be you should have set up in Google Search Console so as you can monitor when Google's giving you alerts and information about each of them because they are tracking them slightly different in their index. Therefore, you need to know about them all. And then his third, <laughs> as I've written in, in my script, simple tips. Not that simple, but his third kind of quick tip was... Regularly audit the third-party tags on your website. Check that you still need them all. Check that they are still working as they should. Check they aren't flagging up any HTTPS issues. Okay, let's get into some slightly bigger stuff now. Uh, the rise of progressive web apps, or PWAs. I'll be honest, when I saw that up on the screen, I was like, ooh, no idea what they are. Well, turns out I did know what some of them are, and I expect you do too. Uh, you may have experienced some of them. You probably have experienced some of them, even if you didn't know it. What are PWAs? Well, these are basically websites that behave like apps on the mobile interface. So you've probably seen the Google AMP pages. When you do a search on mobile, most of the news sources are very, newspapers and such are very, very good at these. It's a form of PWA is the app page format or AMP rather page format. Google absolutely loves PWAs. AMP is, of course, owned by Google, and they've recently agreed to give any other page format with similar criteria the same bonus value when it comes to setting positions in the mobile SERPs. SERPs meaning search engine results pages. So um, currently on mobile, an AMP page will rank higher than a non-AMP page, all other things being equal. Google have understandably been challenged on that because they own AMP, and they've said anything else which does the same job, they will give equal uh, kind of SEO juice too. If you're kind of going, Chloe, I still don't get what a PWA is, best thing to do, um, and this is what Nick recommended, is to go and have a look at pwa.rocks, which is actually a website. Uh, and it doesn't sound like one, but it is one. pwa.rocks, R-O-C-K-S, as in a pile of rocks. And you can see some really good uses of it there. So that's kind of a website for people sharing what cool things they've done with the PWA tech. Nick tested the idea of PWAs to see what impact they make on search traffic volumes. And he did it with the launch of the iPhone 5S. So hugely um, competitive and big opportunity SEO project. And they got 27% more mobile traffic from search as a result of having AMP pages instead of normal pages. So there's a lot to be gained there. And I was, I'd previously been in the opinion that um, Google AMP pages could only be blog pages and such things, but actually you could do it to the whole, whole of your website if you wanted to. So it's a bit like creating an app version of your website without actually having to create an app. We're about to start taking us around in circles. So I shall go on to Nick's next tip, which is technical SEO. Um, this is probably the least glamorous bit of SEO, but it's a bit which can do huge things for your business. And for Nick, this is the place to start if you only manage to do one of the things that I'm going to tell you about from his presentation. What does this mean? It means making sure that the techie on-site stuff, the techie on-site stuff is done right. In practical terms, regularly auditing your website to make sure everything is working the way it should. So you'd be looking for orphaned pages, insecure form fields, cannibalization and other SEO nasties as well. 
The good news is Nick recommended two tools that you can use to do those checks for you to flag up what the problems are and to give you some suggestions of how to fix them. So the first one is called Deep Crawl and you can get 10% off that with Nick's code which is NW2018 so Nick Wilsden initials 2018 and that'll get you 10% off and the second one was screamingfrog.com and the other thing to say about this is tech evolves whether you want it to or not so don't just crawl this week and forget about it for the next five years put yourself a schedule to check it every month or to check it every quarter but you should be regularly running those checks running those crawlers either deepcrawlerscreamingfrog.com to find out what technical problems you've got with your website and get them fixed. You can't say to Google, oh, we know about that. We will fix it in three months' time. They're not going to give you any benefit until you get around to fixing it. You've got to get it done. Okay, the next thing uh, Nick was talking about was site speed. Hopefully, you're all aware that site speed is important for getting search traffic. And the tip which or two tips actually, which Nick shared on this. One is that the new HTTP2, which is written HTTP slash two, is it's a new coding format. It really helps because rather than loading things in series, it loads things in parallel to your web page. He had an example he was showing on screen where someone had coded the same page in HTTP and then in HTTP2, HTTP2 even, and the the rendering speed was so much quicker. That can be a bit hard to retrofit into existing um, web server technology. But if you're using a CDM, I know so many acronyms and, and jargon here, you're really going to want to go and look at the script for this session, this section on SEO. Um, and you can get that at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 150 dash five if you want to. So if you're using a CDM, I have no idea what that stands for, but it's a tool like Cloudflare, which probably most of you heard from. This is heard about rather Cloudflare. Cloudflare. I see the voice is starting to go now. It's getting slightly more tricky. Okay. Cloudflare are a service who will kind of cache and re-render and speed up your website and they can turn your website into HTTP2 for you without you having to do very much at all. So that's a solution on that front. The other tip Nick had around SiteSpeed was to use the tool SiteSpeed.ice, so .ice. It's a free tool, yay! Um, and it's very good for seeing how you're doing on the speed front and telling you what to do in order to improve your speed problems. So there we go. That's kind of a bit, bit more tech. Now we're going to go kind of a bit left field. Well, not that left field, but kind of left field in the world of SEO with voice search. And um, if you've listened to some of our expert sessions and predictions for 2018, you probably had an idea that if I was talking to someone who really knew his onions in the world of SEO, then there was a strong possibility we would be talking about voice search. And indeed we are. So, Nick shared some interesting stats about voice search. First off, the adoption of voice technology hardware by consumers, so think Alexa and Google Play, etc., is far, far faster than the adoption of mobile was. So, people are really buying these quick, essentially. And on the hardware front, Amazon is the one who's winning the, the battle. I won't say the word again, but it's all about those devices. And if we take a look back on the Google SERPs again, so the Google search engine results pages, you see, you know, those featured snippets you increasingly see at the top 
that result that actually kind of gives you the answer to what you're searching for. Those are the the result which is read out when you do a voice search. So that if you if you know if you're putting in a question and you're seeing a featured snippet, the person whose featured snippet whose website that featured snippet comes from, they are winning the voice search battle. So there's really only one result when it comes to voice search. Uh, and in fact, Nick refers to these positions as position zero. And they are very hard to attain because there's only one of them. Uh, but the good news is that Google is massively increasing the number of search terms that, that return a position zero result, which means it is getting easier to gain a position zero for yourself. But Nick's saying that a better way to get traffic courtesy of voice search is to create something such as an Alexa skill. Sorry, I just I know I said it again, but you know I had to explain it. I hope that hasn't caused any of you too many problems. Um, so to create one of those skills for your products or brand. And that needs to be something that customers need. So it's more likely to be a customer service portal than a shop. And even if you're not sure what your brand's Alexa skill should do, it might be worth grabbing your brand name keyword in the skills space. Anyway, that's Nick's recommendation. Also for voice search, you need to make sure that your product data and APIs are easily picked up by those running voice products. So in order for your website to be correctly seen and so forth, you need to make sure that you've got your, your data flagged in the right way on the web website. That essentially is by implementing something like schema.org or by using fantastic APIs. Neither of those am I going to go into on this podcast. You will be glad to know. If that's all been getting a little bit too techy for you, well, uh, there are some fantastic resources out there, so I'm going to leave you to have a go with it and research further. But if you do ask, want to ask questions about this, then please put them in the e-commerce master plan world Facebook group. It's free to join. Just make sure you answer the questions when you apply or I won't let you in. It's my way of trying to keep out the spammers who just want you to buy their product, by which I mean software products, not candles, etc. Um, you are more than welcome to come and join the group and plug your your products that you sell on a Wednesday, I think is our, is our promotion today. I go off track. Okay, let's talk about monetizing the traffic that doesn't buy. This was a session from lastminute.com who have monetized the traffic that doesn't buy on their website to make a big shift in their business. They built an algorithm that can predict whether a visitor to the website will buy or not. You may think, oh, that's nice. How do they make money out of that? Well, it's really nice and they're making a lot of money out of it. The team led by Alessandra De Lorenzo, who did the session, she was brilliant. They've built an ad serving platform to show ads to those who they've identified as being unlikely to buy during their visit, thus monetizing that 96% of visitors who don't buy. A nice idea? A hugely lucrative idea. It's running at a 70% margin nice and it's delivering in total it's been only been running for a couple of years and it's already delivering 40% of the whole last minute groups EBITDA for those of you who don't know what EBITDA is it's basically profit so 40% of the profit of the whole last minute group is down to this new ad serving platform and algorithm technology now you do have, a, have to have a fair amount of traffic to be able to make those predictions and to get it to work properly. But Ali and her team are now looking to roll out the service to other retailers. So if you have a fair bit of traffic and you want a bit of that cash, then get in contact with Alessandra and her team and see if they'd be able to, if, they, if you'd be a good candidate for rolling out the same tech. 
I've put a link to her profile on LinkedIn in the show notes. And again, you can find the show notes at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 150-5 or head to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast where you'll find a link to this show. Okay, our last section of advice, and I think my voice is going to hold out to the end of this, and then I might just go on a talking ban for the rest of the evening. Um, Okay, B2B e-commerce advice now. During the B2B part of the show, we had a series of great sessions. We had a lovely panel session, which got got lots of different opinions coming out that was on learning from B2C for the B2B uh, world. We had the B2B e-commerce store, Ricardo de Villa. He's worked for huge international B2B businesses on both the wholesale and the manufacturing side. He really knows his stuff. And the link to his LinkedIn profile is in the show notes if you want to catch up with him. He's from Brazil. He's living in Geneva. And he is just a mine of information and sensible advice on how to take a B2B business, digital and e-commerce. And then we had a session from Nick Hill Armin from Amazon Business, who was encouraging us to become Amazon Business customers and sellers. Now, I'm not going to take you through the nuts and bolts of each of those sessions, um, but there were some really key themes running through all of those B2B sessions. So I think those themes are the ones I'm going to, I should share with you today. And it's interesting because those themes kind of, there are a lot of differences between B2B e-commerce and B2C, but at the fundamental levels, as I'm about to run through, they kind of, kind of this advice is just as important for the B2C e-commerce among us too. So the whole thing starts with the customer again and again, whatever the question was, whatever the aim was, it all came back to how do you serve the customer best? It's not about forcing the customer into e-commerce. It's about finding the bits of digital that are going to support the customer to get the best results for them, because the better the customer does in their business, the better the B2B e-commerce or B2B uh, retailer, wholesaler, etc. will do. Culture and team are crucial to make this successful. Turning a B2B business into an e-commerce operation is not a job purely for the marketing team or purely for the sales team or purely for the IT team. Everybody has to be on board and everyone has to be bought in to the concept. Otherwise, it's just not going to succeed. Shifting from traditional B2B sales models to e-commerce is not a quick change, but it's very possible and should be very lucrative if done well. Shifting from B2B e-commerce to B2C is yet another huge change. So don't try and do them both at the same time. They are big learning curves. So make sure you get your, if you're B2B, get your B2B e-commerce working first and then consider selling direct to consumers. There's a lot to consider if you're going to make that choice. And if you're interested in learning more about B2B e-commerce, you can find links in the show notes to all the B2B podcast interviews I've done. There's quite a few of them, actually. And to my book, B2B e-commerce master plan, how to make wholesale e-commerce a key part of your business to business sales growth. So that's my update from IRX. My voice is just about held out. So that's good. I'm off to get and sip on some honey and lemon, I think, and see if I can revive it. Uh, and also to stop talking. Uh, You can find the script of this show and all the links I've mentioned at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 150-5. If you want to get stuck into some more conference style content in the meantime, then my e-commerce master plan virtual summit remains open to registrations. It's free and you'll have access until at least September this year. You can find that at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash summit. Have a great week, all of you. 
Have a lovely Easter and keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com.